Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Um, the last, last week we started, <clears throat> we started in a little mini teaching series on Advent, and I really, I really just encourage you to go back and, and listen. Um, I just feel it. So often we, we, we enter into a season like this and either it's just been watered down because of what goes on in our culture or we just get so familiar with the text that we lose the wonder of what we're celebrating. And we really t- we're taking time to go through biblically what it means, uh, what does Advent season mean, which Advent is about the coming, the coming of Christ. And so one of the things that we shared is that technically where we're positioned right now as believers we're actually living in the tension of two advents. Christ has already come, but he will come again. And what I had mentioned last week is we, we focus specifically on the coming of Christ. And then I said we're going to use that to really speak into how uh, the first coming prepares us to know that he'll do it again. Because there was a point in time, I, I got to imagine there's a point in time, and you see it kind of in the scriptures, where when you're waiting, as we said, 4,000 or so years, going back to the, the promise of the seed, coming out of Eve, if you wait that long, at some point you're going to start to say, maybe he's not coming. <laughs> maybe we misheard. And I feel uh, you hear those similar comments being made today. Oh, yeah, Jesus coming back. Uh, he said quickly, it's been 2,000 years or so. But I want you to know, just as he came in the first time, he will come again. <laughs> and we will find out it was not a myth. <laughs> it was not some fairy tale. But as he first came, he'll come again. And that's where we're going to be going. But I actually felt to take one more week to just really speak into the first coming of Christ. Next week, we'll finish off with looking at uh, how this first coming prepares us for the second coming. I think it's appropriate as we move out of Christmas that we would look at um, what's, what comes after Christmas, right? But I want to just spend one more week talking about this first coming of Christ, being that it's literally almost Christmas Day itself. I just felt it was more appropriate to still hone in on this. And, and there are so many things that we could talk about when we were talking about Christ coming. But what I felt the Lord stirring in my heart this week was specifically the idea that when Christ would come, he would be a light. He would be a light to the world. He'd be a light in the midst of darkness. In fact, we were singing, Jesus, you change everything. <laughs> and I really feel that for this morning that we're going to step into that. Uh, why speak on this outside of the fact that I just feel the Lord highlighting it? I mean, there's a few reasons. Number one, culturally, one of the things that really marks the the Advent season for us culturally, one of the first indications that we're in Christmas season is what? (laughs) We start putting up lights. And, you know, it's interesting. We do so many things um, that we don't even realize it's beyond just being decorative. It's actually highly symbolic. And one of the things that we do with lights is we put them on our houses, and then at night, what happens? When there's darkness, we have light shining, right? This is, we don't even realize these things are rooted in the idea that we are, uh, we are actually proclaiming a gospel truth when we do this, that in the midst of darkness, light came in. The other thing that I really felt was important is even though, is he all right? Hurt his knee? All right. Oh, oh, oh no, like, like, like father, like son, I just hurt my hamstring. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll pray for you, buddy, at the end, all right? Even now. Lord, I pray you would touch his hamstring in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you. So outside of that, the the other thing that I really feel it's appropriate to speak into light is there are so many 
um, gospel truths that drip from the Christmas story. But light is absolutely foundational. And I want to just image it this way. If you were to go into a room and look for something or do something, what is the very first thing you must do when you go into a room? <laughs> you must turn the light on. It is, it is absolutely impossible to do anything else until the light turns on. And all the great truths that come from the Christmas story, the things that impact our lives and we're called to walk in, we can't do any of that without light. And so I feel the Lord wants us to focus on light because everything else, it's, it's honestly, it doesn't mean anything if you're not walking in the light, if you have yet to receive the light. And finally, I just feel culturally, I feel it's so appropriate to speak into how light breaks forth into darkness because when we look around, I think we all understand there's a lot that's taking place in our culture. And I want to just remind you and encourage you that God is not afraid of the darkness. Actually, some of the greatest move of God's are birthed forth from the darkness. And in the same way that he came in light, I believe God is doing it again and again and again. So here's what I want to do. We'll see how the Lord moves this exactly, but I want to, I want to one, speak into encountering the light of the world. And then, depending on how that goes in time, real quickly, I want to share with how we're then commissioned to be the light of the world. So the Lord, I believe, wants us to encounter him as the light of the world, and then he wants to commission us to be the light of the world. Uh, not that it's us ourselves, but it's Christ living in us and through us. So, is everyone in Luke chapter 1, verse 78, 79? The Advent season is not simply about a birth. I hope you see that it's about a coming. One of the most famous or most frequently used expressions in the life of Jesus is according to the scriptures. You'll see it all throughout his sayings and his actions. It would say according to the scriptures. He didn't just come into this earth and was birthed out of nowhere. Everything about his life was prophesied and planned. And so what we're celebrating right now is more than a birth, it's a coming. And specifically light coming into this earth. So Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read specifically verse 78, 79. This portion of scripture is when Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, if you know the story, he was actually muted because when the angel came to him in the temple and said that your wife Elizabeth, who was barren, we shared about that last week, she will give birth to a supernatural child, his name will be John. Zechariah actually doubted. And this is what I love is that even though we may doubt God's promises, he still brings them to pass. It's just a matter of whether or not we'll be muted through the process or not. Uh, but Zechariah was muted, and what happens is, is when John the Baptist is born, they ask Zechariah what will his name be, and he gives the name that he was told to, John. The moment he writes it on a tablet, his mouth is open, and the first thing that Zechariah does is he begins to prophesy for about 10 verses. He prophesies over the life of Jesus, and he prophesies over the life of his son, John. It kind of transitions halfway through. And towards the end, I'm reading this one out of the NLT, uh, Zechariah actually begins to talk about how his son, John, will prepare the way for Jesus. And he says, this is what Jesus' ministry will do when he comes to the earth. Verse 78. It says, because of God's tender mercy. Oh, I love this. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light, it's a picture of the sun. I don't know, I just have like a Lion King picture here. Darkness over the land and light is coming upon it. And Zechariah is getting a vision of this child who's going to come to the earth and it's going to be like the morning light breaking upon us. And then verse 79, he says what? To give light. Everything about the ministry of Jesus is selfless. He came to give. 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So we're going to look at two, two passages from this place. I want to set the stage right here. That this says, John says, I see a vision of this child who's coming into the earth and he is going to be like a morning light breaking upon us, a people who sit in darkness in the shadow of the death. There are many things we could share, but one of the things God was speaking to me that I want to encourage you and it's encouraging me is that this right here tells us that the context of the first Christmas story, it is so counter to the commercialized presentation that we see nowadays, which presents Christmas as a fantasy world, of which somehow if we can just be together and be with one another, it will just all work itself out. I want you to know that, that the context of the first Christmas story is so very different than that. And that's important because sometimes, many times, we have things going on in our life and we have no idea how to reconcile what's going on in our life to what we're presenting as Christmas today. But the context of the first Christmas story is that there was darkness upon a people and a land. Thick darkness, but God showed up. The context of the first Christmas story is not let's just pretend like nothing's happening or let's just... Uh, say it's doom and gloom, the context of the first Christmas story is that there's real darkness. There was real pain. There was real loss. There was real tragedy. There was real disappointment, real hopelessness. There was real bondage, real, real, real rebellion. But in the midst of all of that, God showed up. Light came in. And he didn't just show up. It says the light will break upon us, which is a violent act of God's intervention to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And the testimony of Christmas is that 2,000 years ago, the light of the world broke into this earth. Like on a cosmic, global level, the light of the world broke forth. And what's been happening 2,000 years since that point is individual lives have been encountering the light of the world. He doesn't just want to be the light of the world. He wants to be the light of your life. And my story, along with many other people here, is that when he broke in, like this violent act, God stepped into the midst of darkness and disappointment and loss. We're like, what in the world is going on? God came, showed up, he broke forth, and from that moment, God has been coming to people individually who are sitting in darkness and the light is shining in their life and they're being changed forever. Changed forever. Like, I truly believe, I don't take it for granted just because I see faces gather, that there's a, pot, there's a moment today for some for you to encounter the light of the world. And the darkness that you may be sitting in will be changed forever. That could be your first time or that can be your hundredth time. You've been walking faithfully, but nevertheless, you are still in a dark season. I feel in my heart God wants to break forth into people's darkness this morning. He wants to, his light to come in and shine no matter where you find yourself. First time, hundredth time. The light of the world breaking into a people that are sitting in darkness. Real loss, real disappointment, sitting, sitting in darkness. As I was meditating on this, I feel like the Lord was really speaking to me about how this is an expression of you just feel stuck here. You, you are hopeless. This is how it's always been. This is how it will always be. And it's in those people sitting in darkness that the Lord shows up. It's even, it's even to those that are sitting in their own rebellion against the Lord. It says, because of God's tender mercy. Some of us, I know that was my life. I was sitting in the darkness of my own rebellion, yet in his mercy, he still came to me. In his mercy, he still came to me. And the breaking upon of the Lord, it's not only a violent act, but it also, it speaks of something sudden. 
sudden. I pray for the suddenly of God's light to break forth this morning. I really do. That doesn't necessarily mean that all changes. Many times God works in, in processes. That's what Destiny said this morning. But whether it's a single moment or a process that something would shift and you would really experience the hope that light is here. The, the breaking in of God is the sudden interruption to what we've become comfortable in. We've been sitting in something, but God comes and breaks in and it changes everything. So I want to I wanna look at, again, I said, we'll see how it moves, two passages, both in Isaiah. One is about encountering the light of the world. And then depending where we go from that, uh, uh, we'll just probably spend a real, real brief amount of time on Isaiah 60 about being the light of the world. So if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter uh, 9, please. Isaiah chapter 9. Again, I want us to first encounter the light of the world. And then we have the glorious commission to be the light of the world. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I pray right now for all those who feel like it's been a hard season. Lord, where there has been actual pain and loss and discouragement and confusion... Yes, Lord, even, even our own rebellion, the fruit of that is the darkness, Lord. But I thank you that in your tender mercy, you don't turn a blind eye. You don't tell us just to pretend it's not there, but you show up right in the midst of it. And so I pray once again that you would do what you did 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, would you shine your light in the midst of all of our lives. And whatever that work needs to be done, Lord, I pray it be done or something would be started this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Isaiah chapter 8, uh, chapter 9. I'm actually going to read just a, a quick portion right before in chapter, chapter 8. But this is one of the, let me put it this way, 700 years prior to what we just read, roundabout, 700 years prior to what Zechariah prophesied, Isaiah prophesied, and he also caught a glimpse of a child coming into the earth, right? Look at Isaiah 9.6. I shared this last week, but this is like the key verse. Isaiah 9.6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And what we're about to read is Isaiah caught a vision and really saw clearly that his people, the people of God, were steeped in darkness, immersed in darkness, which can have many descriptive words that come with that. But he saw God providing a light to the earth, and it was found in this child, in a son that he would give. And to just give you the summary cliff notes, Israel had been, for many, there are many contributing factors, rebellion, other things, but they found themselves in deep darkness, and the climax of it is the end of chapter 8, of which there's an invasion coming, the Assyrian army. This was an historical event. Assyria would come in and capture the northern kingdom. That's what's being prophesied here. And they would be taken into slavery and bondage. And this would be like the height and climax. But chapter 9 is about God changing the entire situation by bringing a light into the world, this son, who would bring redemption and restoration. So I want to read just these last two verses of chapter 8 before we go into chapter 9. It's really the height of the darkness that God's people were in. And it's so important to grasp. 
so we can see how it connects to our lives. This ties right into Zechariah 1's prophecy we just read. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21. It says, They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. All right. Many things in the Old Testament that are literal... In, in our life, there's a lot of spiritual application. There's, this is a real army. This is real hunger. There was real famine. There was economic downfall because of all that was going on. But I believe this is also a prophetic picture for us. And what I see here is that through their own choices, they were actually experiencing the emptiness, the hunger of their own choices. But what's so fascinating, because I've experienced my own life, is when they start to feel the hunger of those choices, rather than turning to God and repenting, they actually blame God. They actually turn and get angry towards God and say, why is this happening in our lives? And then here comes verse 22. This is like the key. So, so important. Verse 22 says, and they will look to the earth. Man, when I read this, this was like a hammer that just hit my heart. It says, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, Ready? And they will be thrust into thick darkness. So here's the summary. Before you can catch the light of the world, you need to hear this. The people of God are sitting in darkness. And it says, rather than looking to the Lord, they look to the earth. They look to human capabilities. They look to human resources. They look to their own strength, own reasoning, own wisdom. They look to all of these things, and what they're doing is they're saying, we recognize there's darkness, but we possess the ability to get out of it. Oh, we see there is darkness, but we have what is necessary to overcome that darkness. Beloved, this stuff is going on today. It's going on right now. People are recognizing, I see the darkness, but if we just pull together enough, if we look within our own selves, if we look to intellect, innovation, enough scholars, experts, we can find a way to overcome without looking to God. And look what is the result at the end of verse 22. As they look to the earth, it says, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. In other words, they're in darkness, but as they look to the earth and self rather than to God, they don't remain the same. They're actually propelled into a deeper level of darkness. This is my testimony. <laughs> this is many of our testimonies bound in addiction, saying, I got this God. I'm God of my own life. And when I try to get out, I actually get into further darkness. I get thrust into thick darkness. This is why the scriptures say we needed a light to break upon us. It's about to say in Isaiah 9 that this child, his light will dawn upon us or he will shine upon us, meaning the light that we need is not found from within. It's not found from self. It's not found from the earth. The light that we need is found from coming into this earth. It is Jesus. And if you are in need of light touching your life, I promise you this, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. No matter what you're going through, he is the light of the world. If you want to actually see specifically what the Israelites were looking at, when it says they look to the earth, come back to verse 19 of chapter 8. Chapter, chapter 8, verse 19. This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. He says, And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, 
who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, no light. So Israel's in bondage, and rather than looking to God, they look to the earth. Specifically, they look to mediums and magicians and your cards and your signs and all these other things, and it thrusts them into further darkness. We may look at different things, but we look to experts and professionals, and there's a place for some of these things. But ultimately, if we don't look to the light himself, we actually find ourselves in deeper and deeper bondage. And then everything transitions when we go to verse 9. Verse 9 is about hope, the hope of this darkness being extinguished, coming to the earth. And it's found in a child who will be the light of the world. And I just want to read a few verses here to really encourage you this morning. I'm going to start in verse 1. Everything changes here. This is Isaiah seeing restoration and redemption and darkness breaking. It's almost like now, several hundred years after this, he's seeing something. And he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, who was in anguish. So there was a people in anguish and darkness, but now there will be no gloom anymore for them. Why? In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now there's a lot to speak into this, but here's what I want you to know. When the Assyrian army came in, the most northern region, and they came from the north, was Zebulon and Naphtali, which means these two regions were real, but they also became symbolic of the place that is the most bound, the place that was sitting in darkness the longest and most severe. And what this is saying is even the most hopeless regions, the most hopeless people who have been in captivity the longest, when the light of the world comes, even they will be set free. Even those who have been under the Assyrian rule for the longest without hope, when this light comes, even that darkness cannot overcome this light. I want you to know, no, no, no matter how long you have been bound, no matter how long you may have been discouraged, no matter how long it may be going on for, this, no darkness can overcome this light. Nothing, nothing can stop this light when it comes to the earth. This right here in Matthew 4 was quoted about Jesus. When Jesus came out of the wilderness temptation, he literally, it's quoted about him, that he, he gave light to those sitting in Zebulon and Naphtali. There is light for every single person this morning. And then verse 2 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Listen, that ha again, 2,000 years ago, a people in darkness saw a great light. John 1.14, I quoted, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We're talking about more than a light bulb here. This is the glory of God, the radiance of God. And he showed up, and 2,000 years later, he's still showing up, and people who are in darkness are still seeing this light, and everything is changing for them. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone, or on them has the light dawned upon them. And Isaiah, again, what he's seeing is a picture of a sun dawning upon an earth that is covered by darkness. 
And when, I, when you think of Jesus coming to this earth, I want you to picture in this baby is a light of the world like a morning sunrise coming upon the darkness of this earth. And he'll do it again and again in our lives as we look to him. Isaiah uses the image of a son, and I think that's important because it really helps us to grasp what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Well, there are a lot of things that sun does, and so there's a few things. Number one, the sun gives life. I'm sure a lot of you know that if we were just a little bit further from the sun, we would freeze. It is the source of life. When it says Jesus is the light of the world, it means he is the source of life of the world. In him we move and breathe and act. There is no life outside of him. Oh, you may be breathing, but the Bible says we're actually dead. We're actually dead with, apart from the life that is found in Christ. His, his light is the life. Listen to this, 1 John 1, 4 and 5 says, In him was life, meaning Jesus, and the life was the light of men. If you want life, you need his light. <laughs> Just like we need the sun to survive, it's life. If you want life, we need him. And not just a one-time decision. This is why we talk about abiding and staying connected. He is life for me today just as much as he was life for me when I gave my life to him. He is life. Again, 1 John 1, 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The sun shows truth. It not only gives life, but it shows truth. Without the sun, we walk in darkness. This is what I said before. The first thing that needs to happen in every one of our lives, if we're going to go into a room to look for something, you must turn the light on first. You can't do anything else. The light has to first come on. The sun illuminates and it reveals. So important. Without it, we stumble in darkness. If me or you were to go drive around at night with no headlights on and there's no artificial lighting, no telephone poles. It is only a matter of time before we crash. His light guides us, it counsels us, it leads us, it illuminates. All of a sudden I begin to realize, wait a minute, the reason why I feel death is because I've been partaking in something that is actually killing me. I could not understand that until his light shined in my life and I saw what is reality. Man, without the, life of, without the light of Jesus, we lose touch with reality. We can't make sense of things. Things that we declare are right are actually wrong. Things that we declare are wrong are actually right. We're seeing that in our nation. We need the light of Christ to break forth. We can't make sense of anything more. Why? Because we look to the earth. We, we look to self. We look to our own strength. And yet we're getting thrust into further darkness. We need a cry that says, Lord, let your light again break forth into our lives. And the sun, the sun, it gives life, it's truth, and it's beautiful. This is so important. How many of you love to see a morning sunrise? <laughs> it's dazzling. It's beautiful. It gives joy. Do you know that we've made a, a, a connection, a link between darkness and depression in the literal sense? Around this time of the year, especially as you go to January to like March, while it's darker early out, you know that there's a, it skyrockets depression. Now that's not for everyone, but by and large, we see a real uptick in depression. There's something about in the natural where darkness and depression go hand in hand. I want you to know what's true in the natural is often an indicator of what happens in the spiritual. Do you want joy? His joy is found in the light. His, his light, the radiance, his brilliance, we speak about his beauty. What do we mean? Are we talking about the, the physical features? No, there's actually no beauty found in Jesus, Isaiah 53 says. We're talking about who he is and what he does. And the more you grow in the knowledge of God, it's so beautiful, his glory. 
It will captivate your heart. This is how you fight sin. Hebrews says that, that, that sin, Moses did not partake in the fleeting pleasures of sin. That means sin has pleasure, but it's fleeting. How do you fight the pleasure of sin? You fight pleasure with pleasure. You fight it with the pleasure of Christ. If you just teach people to keep trying to say no, say no, say no, say no, you can't. People would say, Andrew, you keep using drugs, you're going to die. Guess what? There was a momentary pleasure I was experiencing that I could not overcome in myself. I had to experience the pleasure of Christ to be set free from inferior pleasures. If, if you want addictions to be deadened in your life of lust and money and power, you must behold the light that is beautiful and radiant and glorious. You were made for this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning we were intended to live in the glory realm with God. We were intended to behold. That's why at the heart of the new covenant, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says what we get to do now is behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's as you grow in the knowledge of God, I promise you this, you're going to start finding things that you fought so hard to break off are just gone. And you'll say, wow, it's been three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years. I do not think and do the things I once used to do. And it's not because I tried to wrestle my way out. There's, there's decisions that we make, but it's because I've encountered the beauty of his light. And I have been set free. Look what comes right after this verse too, speaking about the joy that comes from his light. Verse 3 says, As this light will shine upon a people, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The very next thing that says when light comes into the earth is joy comes upon a people. Joy becomes upon a people. Now, how can this light become yours and mine? <laughs> how did it become mine? And how for maybe someone today can it become yours? I want you to look at verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. This is so important. This is the key of light coming into the world. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is earned, worked for. No, it's given. It's given. How does this light become yours? You must receive him as a gift. The gospel it's not about me and you earning this light, working for this light, living morally good enough for this light, for we could never do that. The gospel is about when we were sitting in darkness, completely incapable of coming out, God came to us. And if you yield your life to the light, he declares you a child of light, and he empowers you to walk as a child of light. You can't work for this. You can't, the only thing you can do is receive this. But here's, you say, that's, that's simple. It is so simple in one sense. Religion's so complex. Religion is so complex, and it f brings further burdens. The gospel in Jesus is really easy. It's one man. Yield your life to Jesus, and everything that you need to live out this life is found in this man. It's simple in that sense, but it's really hard in this sense. Some gifts are really hard to receive. <laughs> we see this in the natural. Why? Well, if yesterday morning at Christmas, if I open up four or five gifts for my wife, and each gift is a variation of a diet book. <laughs> what do you think she's trying to say? You're overweight. 
and you need to work out. Now, she didn't give me that, right? I mean, this is like, this, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> she didn't give me that. But listen, if I open up all of these books and each one says, it's another variation of a diet book, what is she trying to say? You're overweight and you need to lose weight and you don't possess the knowledge to do it. Here's some help, right? And if I receive that book and I say, thank you so much, what I'm actually acknowledging is that I have a problem and it needs to change. <laughs> the light of the world is the, I'm finding Christmas is more wonderful than I ever imagined, but it's more threatening than I ever imagined too. It's more beautiful, this gift, than I ever imagined, but it's also more humbling than I could ever imagine. Because in one sense, it says the light of the world came to you and me when we were in darkness. He actually came because he loves us that much. But in order for me to receive this gift, I must acknowledge that I am in darkness. And I must acknowledge that I can't get out of it apart from his light. But if you are willing to do that, you will experience the light of truth, the light of his beauty, the light of life. If we would have the courage to say, I am in darkness. And again, whether, wherever you find yourself, I'm not saying getting born again. For some people, it's just acknowledging, man, I'm in dark. I need his light again. If we're willing to acknowledge that his light shines forth once more. It's more beautiful than I could ever imagine. For what we're recognizing is that God gave us the most precious thing he could give, his own son. You know, one of my favorite verses is in Romans 8, which says, if he did not spare his own son, is there nothing else that he would not give to us? Let me use Christmas imagery with gifts. If he gave you the package itself, would he withhold the ribbons? Would he withhold the, 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 the package? If he gave you the gift itself, that's what it's saying. He's given you the most precious thing. There's nothing that he would withhold. But to receive this gift, you must also recognize then, in order for you to come out of darkness, it required the Son of God to die for you. That's the courageous part. And if we say yes, his light will shine into our life. Look at verse 5 real quick. Verse 5 furthers this message of God's grace that it is only by receiving this gift that you can have it. Again, many of the natural things that we read in the Old Testament become spiritual application for us. Not, not all. This is real things being said here. But Isaiah 9, verse 5, Isaiah sees battles coming to an end. And look what he says here, guys. You, you just receive this. Isaiah says, because of this child, this light coming into the world, he says, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, Isaiah says, when this light comes, this sun, he says, I see all war ceasing. He says, take your boots and burn them. <laughs> he says, take your, your sword and your shield and melt it down. Guys, the, the, the message of Christmas is not work harder. It's actually surrender. Surrender. And Isaiah says, when this child comes in, burn your fighting. Some of us need to say, I'm burning my boots. <laughs> And I'm melting down my sword and shield because there is peace. You say, wait a minute, how come there's no war? Who fought? That's exactly what Isaiah is saying. Someone has fought for you. The reason you don't need to fight is because someone has fought on your behalf and did for you and me what we cannot do for ourselves. Isaiah 53 says when this child grows up to be a man, he will go to the cross and he will be pierced, bruised, beaten, crushed. That's combat language. <laughs> Who fought for you? This child did. Except he fought the true oppressor. 
He fought sin, he fought death, and he fought Satan himself. And now what he says is, put your boots away. Put your sword and shield away. I fought the battle for you that you could not fight for yourself. Unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. All what we need to do is receive this son. But it requires us to have every strand of pride in our heart be cut down. And say, Lord, there is nothing I can offer. Oh, you know, we say this often, Jonathan Edwards quote, there's nothing we offer to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> it says, Lord, here it is. And Lord will come in and change your life. One of my favorite texts that I think can, that it ties into this message of light is found in Matthew 27, verse 45. And I want you to just hear what happens. Jesus is the light of the world. And Matthew 27, verse 45, is when the light of the world is hanging on a cross. And it says the sixth hour comes, which is about noon. He's been hanging on the cross for about three hours now. In total, he was on there for six hours. Many would say this, third, this sixth hour, which is the halfway point, is the climax of his suffering and agony for what he was going through. And it says, as the light of the world is hanging on the cross, in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, and darkness covered the land. It is a picture of the light of the world entering into our darkness so we who are in darkness could step into his light. In every way, Jesus enters into the depths of our brokenness and darkness. He first comes into our dark world, then he takes on our death, and then he goes to Hades himself. He just gets lower and lower and lower until he takes on in every way our darkness, becoming our substitute, so that we who are in darkness could call upon him and come into his marvelous light. Jesus got down in our dirty, guys, <laughs> so that we could come up into the light of the glory of God. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite Christian writers, summarizes the depths that Jesus went to in our darkness and gives an incredible illustration of it using a diver. It's just a few lines, but I want you to hear this. It's so ministered to my heart. In light of Jesus, as the light of the world, plunging into our darkness at the cross, C.S. Lewis says this, One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness and then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rush, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till he suddenly breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. What an incredible picture of the Lord diving into the depths of our darkness only to come up with the very thing of which he went down there to get. Beloved, that's me and you. <laughs> and amazingly, he did that knowing many would still reject that. So before I get into Isaiah 60 <laughs> and finish off there, I feel just to stop right now and one, I want to pray for everyone in this room 
who may be going through something dark. You know the Lord, you love the Lord, but there's just something dark going on. I pray that God's light would break forth. But I especially want to take a moment, if there is anyone, if there is anyone in this place who has never truly received the gift of the light of the world. And I just want to give an opportunity, honestly, just to pray for you. That, that in the midst of all the things that come with this holiday, you would receive the greatest gift of all. And that the chains of darkness would be broken off of your life. So I'm asking specifically, not for someone that knows the Lord, but if there is someone who says, man, I, I don't know if I've ever actually outrightly surrendered my life in that way, I want to just pray for you right now. And I'm going to ask you to do something courageous, if that's you. And I'm just going to ask you to first raise your hand. And is there anyone? James? Yeah. Come on, what's your name? Frank? Mike. Mike. Come on, let's have these guys come up. Can you guys come up here? This is incredible. <laughs> I'm going to ask Caesar. Caesar, can you, come up? can you come up or no? Come on, is there anyone else? Um, Mark, you mind just playing some? You guys can stand right there. Actually, if you guys can get close together, like shoulder to shoulder, you could just face me. And I'm going to have Caesar come right behind you. Uh, James, right? James, Cheyenne, and Mike. Is there anyone else? Guys, this is, this will, your life changes forever here. I, I just love, I love how in the midst of just like such natural things, there's these holy moments. <laughs> like the holy one came into a manger. Everything looks so ordinary, but in it, something was breaking forth. So is there anyone else whose life feels bound in darkness and you've never come into the light, you've never received this gift? Yes. Praise the Lord. Well, then I'm going to ask everyone just to close their eyes with me. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. It says, when, when one turns to the Lord, heaven rejoices. <laughs> heaven is rejoicing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just wait a minute. Just wait a minute. I promise we're going to pray in a second. Just wait a minute. Holy Spirit, we ask for your full work to be done here right now. We thank you that you are still calling people out of darkness into your light. Thank you that you're still calling people out of darkness into your marvelous light. We're praying even now, fuller understanding of what's happening. Thank you for your light of truth. Thank you for your light of life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to lead you guys just in a prayer. I want to be really clear. This prayer is not anything special. It's not anything... Um, it's not the key. It's not about the words. It's about the heart calling out out of darkness to the one who came, who is light. And so it's more than just repeating words, guys. I want you to focus your mind and your heart on Jesus and whatever you say to say from the heart and I promise you your life is never going to be the same some things will break off immediately in Jesus name and some things will be more of a process but nevertheless your life will never be the same so I just want you to repeat these words would you guys mind just putting out your hands like open hands like you're receiving you're receiving yeah, let me just 
Let me pray one other thing first. Lord, we just come against earning and working. We come against trying to figure out if we are allowed to be up here right now. Lord, we've never been worthy enough to come to you, but you have made a way. You have made a way. You have made a way. So we just cancel out every other voice and distraction. Right now, in Jesus' name. Yeah, so just repeat after me, guys. Father, I thank you for sending your son. And I confess that he is the light of the world. And I confess that I want him to be the light of my life. And I confess that I've been sitting in darkness. And in my own strength, I could not get out. I confess that my darkness was my own rebellion against you, God. But I also confess in your tender mercy, you are coming to me right now. And I receive your son, the light of the world, into my life. And I pray that what's happening here would be sealed by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Come on, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you one more time. Lord, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would fill and clothe these men in Jesus' name. I pray, God, for addictions in life just to be broken off right now. I pray you would take the taste away. I pray your truth, I pray your truth would reveal, would reveal what is actually happening through these choices. I pray, Holy Spirit, let, let the light of the Lord illuminate the path they're supposed to walk. I pray for a radical and supernatural understanding of your word. God, I pray for a radical breakthrough right now. We pray for a Saul-like moment, Saul-like moment, that in a, in a moment things are breaking off. I pray for their minds. God, just give them knowledge of the word, things that they've never even read, but Holy Spirit, you would illuminate who they are, their identity, who you've created them to be. I pray for every inferior pull to be broken off by your beauty, Lord, who you are and what you do. Lord, may you find these men to be captivated, captivated with all that you do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for setting your people free. We just ask for more of it, more now, more of your light, more of your light shining in the darkness. No turning back. No second-guessing what's happening here, Lord. Lord, when that voice comes to second-guess, I pray you'd remind them, remind them of how you called them out. Seal it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on. Let's just rejoice. Yeah, come on. It's amazing. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. At the end, guys, if you could just come see me so I can get you guys set up with some next steps. Um, yeah, you can let that play through, Mark. I'm just going to close this out here, guys. I promise I won't take it long. I just want to really just share this and pray over everyone else here. Isaiah 60. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're still breaking forth in people's lives. 
So for everyone else in this room, Isaiah 60, there's a now and future aspect of it. But ultimately, here's the commission. I want to share this and then just pray over you guys. Once we encounter the light of the world, Isaiah 60 is about a people who have encountered the light of the world are now being commissioned to be the light of the world. To be the light of the world. How many know Jesus is not walking physically on this earth anymore? But we are. His body, his hands and his feet. He lives in us. And Isaiah 60 says this. Oh, hear this. Hear this for the body. We need this right now, guys. There is so much going on on this earth and the light of the church needs to rise up. Isaiah says this, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Who is the light that has come? Jesus. There's no excuses. We're not waiting for another light. The light has come. Oh, yes, there is something in the future of his leadership being established in its fullness on the earth. But this light has already come, and Isaiah, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, is commissioning a people to take their place, stand, live it out, arise and shine. Not just reflect, for the light lives in you. So therefore, shine. Let your good work shine. For all to see that they would glorify the Father. I see this as the passing of the baton. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5, he says to the church, you are the light of the world. <laughs> Me and you are the light of the world. Let our light shine. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Advent means the light has come. Ephesians 5, 14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. How can we do that? Because he arose from the dead. Now we can. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The arise and shine is not just standing there. It's actually living as light on the earth. Ephesians 5.8 says we were once darkness. Not just in darkness. We once were darkness. It says, but now you are the light in the Lord. So therefore walk as children of the light. For behold, verse 2, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth. And thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This happened once, but it's still happening again and again and again. Do you know what this means? This means that in the, what appears to be the most darkest moments, God's light breaks forth in the most darkest of moments. The most darkest of moments are usually, if you read it historically, give way and set the stage for the greatest outpourings and the moves of God we have ever seen. I believe that this nation is being primed and this community is being primed for one of the greatest moves of God. For as we see darkness, we do not cower and hide, but we arise and shine. That's praying for the sick, but that's also leading our families well. That's working with integrity. That's doing the small things and letting our lives shine that they say, we see the light of Jesus through this people. And then verse 3 says, oh, this so encouraged me. This is for now. And nations will come to your light. And the kings to the brightness of your rising. Beloved, this isn't talking about having a few first-time visitors trickle in here and there. I love that. But this is talking about a massive move of God. A people shining so bright in the midst of darkness that nations and influential leaders are being drawn to that. If you've been through, when we went through our promises that God spoke of his house, that's part of it. That officials would say, how did this community get restored? And they would want to see the same blueprint in their city. And honestly, we just say, Jesus, 
It's Jesus. And then verse 4, let me read these last two verses. It says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together, they come to you. In John 4, Jesus says this very thing to his disciples. He says, lift up your eyes and look. He says, do not say that we need four months until the harvest comes. He says, look up now and see the harvest is white and ready now. And everything that follows is about a harvest of people being ready. It then says, the second part of that, your sons, uh, verse 4, your, your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Verse 5, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Ready? Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. Now there are, I think God wants to bless the church in a literal way, but this is prophetic language. And the sea represents people often, and wealth represents people. The Bible speaks about Jesus receiving the reward of his suffering. A reward, what is it? It's not finances, it's people. It says that he's going to receive his inheritance. You know what his inheritance is? The nations. When it speaks about the wealth of the nations, I'm all for financial things coming in and the wealth of the wicked becoming the wealth of the righteous. That's true. But the greatest reward that the Lord's looking for is people. And this is saying when a people begin to rise and shine in the midst of the greatest darkness, you're going to see a wealth of people come to the Lord in that. This is why, despite what we see, I have great hope knowing that there is another awakening that will come. And I don't know what our whole part in that necessarily, but I just know we're going to see incredible things take place. In fact, we feel the Lord's really stirring us for the, the bringing you know, the kingdom aspect of our mission statement. And we're going to see in the new year more ways of us going out and letting our light shine. And the result is that your heart will be thrilled. There is a joy that can only be found by seeing the lost come to the Lord. <laughs> and we're going to see more and more of that. So let, let's, let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that in the midst of darkness you came. So once again, I just pray for every believer in this house who needs a fresh encounter with you as the light. Today, tonight, this upcoming week, Lord, I pray you would shine brightly in the midst of all the chaos, that our lives would testify that you are our greatest treasure, you are our greatest prize. And we pray right now, Lord, as we go into a new year, Lord, that as a house we've encountered your light, but now we receive the commission to be the light of the world. So we say, arise and shine, arise and shine. For your light has come. Lord, I pray 2022 would be a year that corporately our light would shine in ways we've never seen it before, Lord. And I pray that we would see, we would see, Lord, we would begin to see, verse 3, the nations and leaders coming to your light. Lord, that we would see business owners coming to your light. 
we would see households in this community coming to your light. I pray, Lord, that our light would shine so bright this year that not a single family would not have heard about who you are at the end of this year. Whatever they do with it, Lord, is their choice. But, Lord, I pray every single person would know who you are and why you came. Lord, I pray that the joy of the Lord would erupt in this house when we look and see the harvest coming in, Lord. Lord, send them wherever you want. Bring them to any body that you want. But, Lord, would you just use us for your glory? Would you use us to be a part of them coming to the light? So, Lord, no matter what darkness, no matter what we face, discouragement, God, I pray the light would just burn brighter. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I'm going to, uh, we'll have a prayer team up here for those who would like specific prayer. But we bless you guys. Have an awesome Christmas. Go shine your light. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week. Uh, for those of you who came up before, if you want to just come up to me, I'd love to talk to the, the three of you guys. We love you. Anyone else who needs prayer, come on up. We'll have a prayer team up here. Have an awesome holiday week. <laughs>